Thank you for coming today. Y'all give the choir a big hand today. Didn't they do good? And the band, appreciate you guys so much. If you have a copy of uh, God's Word today, turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, we're going to continue in. The next two weeks, we'll finish up our series, But God. We are going to be finishing next week with a real nice, I think it would be quite a bang for you. I pray that you'd be here next week. we got something very special we want to unveil to you, and I think it's going to be a great time in the house. There's going to be a lot of you involved in that service, so I appreciate your prayers. But coming to a close of this service, it's kind of a bittersweet for me as I study the scriptures as I go through seasons in my own life, and I kind of submit this to you as, as, a, as a preacher, just to be transparent, that a lot of times we preach messages, and you may receive it, that we have understood and cornered the market on the truth that we're speaking over your life, but just to be completely honest with you, it's just the opposite, quite frankly. When we go through these times of maybe series in our, in, in our sermons, it's really a series and a season that we're going through in our own life. In fact, the Ecclesiastes writer says that there is a time and a season for everything under God's creation. There's a time to laugh, and there's a time to mourn, there's a time to be birthed, there's a time to die, there's a time to have plenty, a time to lack, a time to sow, and a time to reap. And all of these things, as we begin to juxtapose those seasons in our life, we begin, if we're not careful, to get overwhelmed with the difficulties that are going on around us. If we take a survey today of all of you that are just, quite frankly, a little overwhelmed, how many would be bold to say, yeah, I'm a little overwhelmed with everything going on around me? I think it's probably somewhat of a cross-section of the church corporately across America today. Why? Because kind of like what one of them was, I think Jonathan was saying, if we look at what's going on in Washington, I'm going to tell you something. This whole flag-burning thing that I saw going on in Valdosta, that has just really blown me away. It's troubled me. And because I believe that we're losing, hear me, hear me, folks, I believe we're losing a generation. I believe we're losing a generation that needs to be reminded that that red, white, and blue is not about a military or not about some type of of ideology. It stands for our freedom by which we were given by Jesus Christ. We were founded on the principles of Christianity in this great nation, and we have gotten so far off the beaten path, and therefore we have skewed the way that we look at things. I mean, today when the flag passes me, I still get a a little chill, if you will across my body. I still get moved by it. Why? Because I believe that one thread of that belongs to me. That's my patriotic duty to stop, to to pay attention to the fact that people are out there dying, standing watch so that you and I, don't miss this, can have the freedoms to worship God today in this place without fear of someone coming in and saying, you can't preach that book. Let me tell you something though. Hear, Hear me. This is what's so ironic. How many of you ever ever fought or stood watch for our service, military service? Raise your hand at me. Come on, give them a big hand because they deserve it. But check this out. This is what blows me away, though. Even the ones who would trample on our flag, we have protected even their rights. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't like the language of English, if you don't like the, the religion of Christianity, if you don't like the flag, get on a boat and go home. I'll pay for your ticket. Because I am, I'm telling you, it's just something that has bothered me so bad. Because I'm going to tell you something. That flag stands for something far greater than a military or a president or even a nation. It stands for the freedom that Christ has set me free with. Listen, that color means something to me. 
That red on that flag, guys, means and represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The white is the purity that we stand in. When I stand in the person of Christ, I stand pure and holy before a holy God. I I started this series back some weeks ago, and we started on uh, Romans 5.8. The Bible says, scarcely would one die for a righteous man. Meaning, you might go out through the world and find someone who would be willing to risk their life for someone who is good. But he said, I dare say that there's no one that would risk their life for people who are bad or enemies against them. But the Bible says, greater love is no man than one to lay down his life for his friends. That's the love that we see in humanity. But there is a greater love. There's a love by a man named Jesus who laid down his life, not only for the Billy Grahams of the world, the Archie Lees of the world, the Mark Pritchett's of the world, You guys, the church, he laid down his life for those who hated him, ultimately put him on a cross. That's the greater love. And the Bible says, but God commended his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then last week we saw the second part of the but God is that though we are depraved, though we are set apart to a sinful world economy, We are children of wrath, the Bible says. We were conceived, as Isaiah says, in sin. You know, we think here in the Bible Belt, especially Thomas said, we're pretty good old guy, pretty good old gal. Let me tell you something. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There is nothing good in you aside from the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Bless you. But here's the reality. We have been raised up together. And made us to sit together in heavenly places. We have been saved by his grace through faith. It's not of your works. It's not of anything you can do. Mark, why, why are you progressing from that direction? Here's why. Because God loves you today. Hear me. You need to hear this today. He loves you right where you are. He loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Because you'll never be what you should be. He loves you in spite of you. He can't do anything but love you. There's certain things that God can't do that are against his character. One, he's an omnibenevolent God. He is all loving. He cannot get out of his passionate love for you, his bride. He can't get out of it. He cannot change. He's a changeless God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as I begin to survey those things in my life, let me tell you something. I, I come to this point today where I realize that in my life there are they have been people that have attempted to, even in my secular life, even when I've been a pastor, there have been people in my life that may speak negatively against me. I know this may some of come as a surprise to you. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what my wife will say. I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? Yeah. I remind her of that every day. <laughs> exactly. But check this out. Have you ever felt sabotaged? Have you ever felt spoken? Have you ever walked in? I love this. Have you ever walked into Walmart and you're going down the aisle and somebody see you and they they go the other way? I love those folks. I'll chase you down you do that to me. I'll come up to you and you're going to get a hug if you do that to me. But see, here's the reality. We've all been there. We've all felt like people were against us. We've all felt like, if you try, especially if you're a Christian, you're trying to study the Word of God. You're trying to live right. You're trying to serve the Lord. Maybe you get involved in something. Maybe you've been praying about being a pastor, a deacon, or a teacher, or some capacity of, of, of service, and then people say, hey, I give it a month, I give it a year, and he'll be right back in the world. People say that about us. But God, but God. I want you to turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read a text to you today. 
that I believe will set some of you free. It certainly has done that for me. It's a story, probably one of my favorite narratives in all the entire Word of God. It's a story of a man named Joseph, one of 12 sons from Jacob, who also was named Israel, the father of the Jewish people. Now, of course, we can go back to Abraham. Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael. Out of Isaac came Esau and Jacob, two twins. Birthright should have gone to Esau, but it was kind of taken, if you will, and swapped and stolen in some way from Jacob. Jacob went on to be the father, if you will, the nation. His name was changed to Israel. It literally means one who wrestles because the children of Israel are still wrestling with God today. He had 12 sons, at least one daughter named Dinah. He had two sons in his latter part of his life, Benjamin and, of course, Joseph. Joseph, the Bible says, was favored. It is what it is. He was favored. How many of y'all have a favorite kid in your house? Don't raise your hand. My kids are like going, let's see what he does there. I want to read this scripture to you, and I want to share a few things with you. It says in verse 15, Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, quote, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually, uh, actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin for they did do evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespasses of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to him then watch this then his brothers also went and they fell down before his face speaking about joseph and they said behold or look acknowledge this we are your servants they're coming not as a brother they're coming as a servant why because they have acknowledged and there's a period of time and i'm going to show you this that has transpired since the time of his 17 year old encounter with them out in dothan when they were feeding their flocks all of these years have transpired joseph is probably 47 to 50 years of age now some 30 plus years has transpired Inspired, and now they realize it's come full circle. All the attacks, all the detriment, all the hatred, seeking to kill him, sell him in prison, the whole thing has now culminated. Why? Because God is not a God that's contained in time. God is a God of timing. I told somebody this morning, we're outstanding in the foyer. You might be in a very difficult place today and feel like God is nowhere around, that he's not moving, that things have not broken through for you, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed. But watch this. God may be on the verge of sending help your way, but you may not be ready for it. It may take 30 years. It may take five years. It may take one minute because the Bible says he's our very present help in a time of trouble. What you and I have to do is to get our mind off of the time and situate ourselves in the perfect will of God and embrace his timing. Now watch why I say that. Then his brothers also went and fell down at his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. I want you to hear this. He wasn't saying that Egypt was a godly place. In fact, it was completely different than that. It was a place of paganism. It was a place of idolatry. It was a place of much evil. He was saying this, and I think we need to hold this today. He was in the spot that God had ordained him to be in for such a time as this. He had traveled some 30-something years through hell and high water to get to the very very place which he calls I am in the place that God has brought me to. And then the big crescendo of the verse in verse 20, but as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. Doesn't matter what people say. 
It doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws your way. It may be meant to break you down, to destroy you, to make you press down, to make you less effective. It may do all of those things, but God can mean it for good. The Bible says there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper or grow or or gain any momentum. Why? Because if I be in Christ, watch this, if the whole world be against me but God be for me, I have everything I need in him. I don't need the world. Hear me. And I say this respectfully. I don't need the world. I don't need my wife, though I would love for her to do this. I'd love for people to to appreciate what we're doing. But I don't need the world to come behind me to authenticate or to justify what God has called me to do. All I need to do is spend time with him and say, God, am I in your place? And that's what you need to do as well today. My God, how often do we struggle and press in life And we get right to the point of breakthrough. Got to be real careful here, Joe. If I fall, catch me, brother. But but we get so close to breakthrough, church. You're you're, you're right there on the edge today, husband. You're right on on the edge, young person, of breakthrough. God is about to show you his glory revealed in your life. And you're right on the edge and you panic because it didn't happen in your time. And you step back and you miss God completely. But you might be in God's place. And he says, but as for you, you meant it for evil? But God meant it for good. And watch what he says. Here's why. Here's what we need to hold on to. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word today that you hold above your own name. Lord, bless the preaching of your word today. Change lives through your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Sermon entitled today is, But God, from the prison to the palace. I will not finish this sermon today. We'll finish next week with our big point that God has laid on my heart some weeks ago. It's going to be at a great time. So pray with me as we move through this today, but don't miss even this point one. If you study the life of Joseph, again, you know the story. You probably heard it in church. If you were raised in church, that his father gave him a very unorthodox gift. He gave him a tunic, a coat of many colors to keep in mind. We're covering a period of time uh, for about 30 something years from Genesis chapter 37, all the way through Genesis 50, maybe omitting one chapter along the way. And he gave him this outward expression to him of a coat of many colors, completely unorthodox for the culture. The culture, they would have worn very drab colors. It would have not been smart, if you will, for the father to place such a tunic on his son. It would have made him stand out in any venue. But what it did above everything was it showed the world that this father had a favor on the son's life. And guess what? Everybody else didn't like it. Can I tell you something? The world sees what God is doing something in your life and they don't like it. The world sees when God is putting something big in your heart and you begin to get excited about the things of God and you see people rolling their eyes at you. I've seen it. You've seen it. Again, I think we have to realize that our goal is not to please everyone else, but to simply grab on and hold on to the favor of God and realize that no matter what happens, what did Job say? Though he slay me, yet shall I what? Trust in him. Can you lose everything today? Hey, here's a good question. Can you lose everything you hold valuable today and still be sufficient in Christ alone? Can you lose your job today and still say, but God, you're worthy? 
Can you have marital difficulty today, husband or wife, and get on your face before holy God and say, but God, thank you for your favor. Can your children be attacked at every corner and you get at home and you pray with them and you know God's placed a favor on their life, which is probably why they are being attacked at every corner because they're trying to do something completely counterintuitive, going against the grain, going against the river flow in this thing we call life. Can you still praise him? You see, the thing of it is, is I believe there's a parallel When God is allowing you a time of testing, there is a blessing over here that is about to be unleashed in your life that's far greater than any level of testing you're dealing with here. See, that's what the but God does. There's a transition. There's a a, a pattern you're traveling that doesn't feel so great. There's a season of your life that's a season of lack. There's a season of hurt. There's a season of mourning. But the Bible says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The only way I can know the comfort of God is when I'm placed out of my comfort zone. Have you ever thought about it that way? The only time I can see healing in my life is if I become broken and I become disabled and I become sick. You will never see healing until you first are contaminated with the things of this world. You will never see the breakout of addiction and and what Ben was talking about until you have first been trapped by the lies of the enemy. See, we want breakthrough, but we don't want the precursor to breakthrough. Can I say it this way? You can't have life until you have first been dead. You see, we got to embrace the seasons of our life and realize that there's a love-hate relationship going on in this world. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4, he says, now Israel, speaking of Joseph, uh, Jacob, I should say, loved Joseph more than all of his children. I don't, I don't condone that, parents. Be careful. Don't go buy your kids some flashy jacket because you love them more. They're going to get beat up. Now... <laughs> Some of you guys with, with sons, you're going, that's right. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. So there's, there's a reason for it. Also, he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. Watch this. But, there's a transition here, conjunction. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Underscore that if you're taking notes. And could not speak peaceably to him. Listen. There is a conspiracy that develops when God's favor gets on your life. The enemy begins to propagate a lie about your life. The enemy begins to lie to you. He begins to lie to your friends. He begins to lie to the people around you. Verse 18 and 20. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, he had gone out, of course, to check on the cattle and check on his brothers. Watch this. They conspired to kill him. Verse 19. They said to one another, look, here comes the dreamer. They're mocking him. Come, therefore, and let's kill him and cast him into some pit. I I want you to check that out. Pull that verse up. It says, and cast him into some pit. I want you to know that the world's attacks on you are absolutely uh, uh, erroneous. They're, they're to no effect. They're just trying to f- grab at straws, if you will, and do something to break this crazy dreamer down who has the, the favor of the Father on his life. He comes walking up just to do what the Father had asked him to do. And they conspire to kill their own blood, to kill him, to throw him into some pit. But if you look on down, I want you to understand this. Watch what it says. In verse 20 and 21, 23, But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit. 
which is in the wilderness, and don't lay a hand on him, that they might deliver him out of their hands and take him back to the Father. Here's what I want to say about that. God is a God of provision. Rather than reading all this, let me kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on. They are in the wilderness. They're in a place of Dothan. They're in a place where there's, there's all these pits. But can I tell you, these pits are not just pits. These pits are wells that were dug by their great-great-grandfather. If you go back and study scripture, you'll realize that there were pits that were dug, that were wells were dug. That was a way of life. It was a life stream. That was their hope. And they're digging all of these wells. And those wells dried up because they got all the water out of them. Of course, it's a desert environment. And at this point, they see him coming in and they say, let's conspire to kill him. We hate him. Why do they hate him? Only because the father loves him. That's the only reason. And they said, let's conspire to kill him. Let's throw him into some pit. Here's what they're saying. Let's find some random place to get rid of him. It's completely arbitrary. It has no order whatsoever, although God is always a God of order. So Reuben stands up and becomes the provision for, for not only uh, Joseph, but for the entire nation of Israel to come, as you'll see next week. But watch what happens. Let's throw him into some pit. Let's just find a random hole and let's throw him over in it. But the Bible says Reuben stood up and says, no, let's not do that. Let's throw him in this pit. See, if you're not a student of the word of God, you'll run right past that. The world's conspiracy is just, let's just randomly take an act here. We don't think about it. We don't pray about it. It's not at all deliberate. Let's just throw him in here. Just, just find him. Any will do. And Reuben becomes a provision of God. And he says, no, no, no. Let's throw him in this one right here. And then the Bible goes on to say, for there was no water in that well. I mean, in that pit. It was actually a well that was dug long before before they ever got here. Mark, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Back over here when the great-great-grandfather was digging wells to get water, water was the lifeblood. Water was the source of any, uh, uh, any family, any tribe. And, and the well that was dug was taken. They drove the water out of it. They lived by it. They watered their flock by it and, it, and it dried up, and it became now a pit. But watch this. Many, many, many years later, all of these extra holes are laying around, and then here comes this dreamer. Hey, let's throw him into one of these holes. No, no, no. You can't just throw him into any one of these holes because some of those holes, by the way, they're wells, may have water in them. If he falls in that one, he's going to drown. Oh, but over here there's one. There's a pit that has no water in it because it had been dried up. Now, now check this out. Over here, many, many years ago, when that well dried up, don't you think that his great-great-grandfather was going, God, why did you dry this well up? We worked so hard. We labored and we toiled over digging this, this pit, this well, and now you're going to let it dry up? God says, oh yeah. You know why I'm going to let it dry up? Because if I look down through the quarters of time, there's a boy named Joseph who is the savior of all your people. And if I leave water in that the way you want it in here now, he's going to drown when he falls into that hole. Do you see where I'm going? See, some, sometimes God allows your wells to dry up so that God can make provision for somebody way down the way. It gets better. It gets better. Because that pit became his salvation. Hear me, church. Hear me. A pit, I, 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 would, I would be strong enough to say this. I suggest that any one of us would not want to be in a pit. A pit is, is a place that's completely surrounded by, by walls. There's nowhere to go but up. 
We resist the pits in our life. We resist those times of trying and testing. The Bible says in James, let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God because God can't be tempted with evil, nor can he tempt any man. But when a man is tempted, he's drawn away of his own lust. When lust is finished, it brings forth sin. When sin is final, it brings forth death. Listen, God is not allowing you to be tempted. God is testing you. God is trying you. Have you ever asked the question, why me? God, why me? God, I'm studying your word. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm doing the things that you're calling me to do. Why do I feel that I keep getting thrown over into this stinking pit? That pit may be the very protection that God is using to keep you away from something that's going to destroy you. Don't resist the pit. I hear people say that all the time. Man, I'm in a rut. Man, I feel like there's a, there's a deadness. There's a, I, I, I know many of you guys that are in the military can relate to this. There's an old saying that there are no atheists in a foxhole. How many of you ever heard that before? Let me tell you something. That's true. Here's what it means. When the bullets start flying, those guys that are in the foxhole and the bullets are, they're like going, find me one of the New Testament Bibles. Find me one of them Bibles. Hey, where's that preacher guy that's always sharing his faith with us? You know, the guy that we think is a blooming idiot. Call him over here, man. Let him lay hands over us in the pit. Let me tell you something. When life gets tough, you know who people reach to? To the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what I say to that. When the world throws you over into a pit, guess what else happens in that pit? The world is blocked out. You can't hear anything but God. See, when I'm standing out here walking on the mountaintop experience, man, I see everything below. I see all the stuff. I maybe get distracted. Oh, boy, but when I, man, I wish there was a hole up here. When you get in the pit and you get down in the hole, there's no more distractions. There's no more things to look at. There's no more things to hope for. Maybe, like Joseph, maybe the pit, maybe the rut you're in is not your punishment, but your provision. Maybe you have been ostracized from friends. Maybe you have been ostracized from family. Hello? Maybe you have been broken in your own home. And you get in this place. My knees are hurting, so I'm going to sit. You get in this place, and the walls are closing in. Let me tell you something, though. The more the walls close around you, the less room you have for anything else to distract you. And then, and then you begin to hear, as the band comes, watch this, then you begin to hear from God. You know, the Bible says that there's a whisper. You know, Elijah went into the mountains running from Jezebel after a great point of his life. And the Bible says that the thunderings and the earthquakes and the winds came by, but God was not in that. The mountains shook, but God was not in that. And then there came the still, small voice. You see... In my time of loss, in my time of fear, oh yeah, we have fear. In my time of attack against me, and I find myself being pressed down further and further and further in the pit. When I get down there, I don't, I don't have anything else going on. And God says, but I got you. But I got a plan. But I got a provision. I, I, I'm going to leave this with you. 
Something else happened that day. How many of you ever made a mistake in your life? I'm going to get out here with you. How many of you ever royally, royally failed? I appreciate Ben having people stand up a moment ago. Because let me tell you something, we're all codependent to something. We're all leaning on something or somebody to make us feel better about me. When in fact the Bible says, lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's what we need to lean on. We need to lean in on him a little bit. But watch this. Go back to a person named Abraham and Sarah. God told him, said, I'm going to give you a child. It's a, it's a son of promise. And they tried to help God be God. So they decided, uh, Sarah says, well, I can't have a baby because I'm barren. Let me tell you what that means. That means you have nothing in you to birth out. I want you to apply this to your life for just a moment. Metaphorically, you may be sitting there today saying, I have nothing to offer God. There's nothing left in me. I've been hurt so many times, Mark. I don't even know how to feel good anymore. You're barren. You're broken. And so Sarah does what any one of us would have done. We want God's will in our life. So she went over and brought Hagar, her handmaid, and said, Here, Abraham, lie with her. Have sexual relationships with her. That's how we can help God be God. However, what that did is really birthed a boy named Ishmael who became the very detriment to the children of Israel. That is the leading force where Muslims come from today was birthed out of the illegitimate relationship where man tried to help God be God. But God... Mark, can any good come out of when I make a left turn, when I should have turned right? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Oh, see, God is a God of permissive will. God is a God of second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh chances. When I fail him miserably, but God steps in. You see, because then I can be like the Apostle Paul. It's when I'm weak that his strength is made perfect in me. See, it's when I'm broken and when I'm undone and I'm hopeless and I'm helpless and I don't have anything to offer God. If I could say it this way, it's when I'm barren and I have nothing more to birth. Because though that boy Ishmael became the father of Palestine, the very thing that has brought the world of Israelites from the beginning all the way through to the end of time, God says, you know what though? Because I'm God and my promises are yes and amen in me, I'm going to use that boy, Ishmael. So if you study the story, he got thrown into the pit. He got thrown into the pit, and, and, and the boys are going, what are we going to do? We're just going to leave him here. He's going to die. But God, along came some, a band of Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites come walking through the desert floor, right in the middle of nothing, right in the middle of nothing. They shouldn't have been there, but God. He brought a band of Ishmaelites who were offspring of Ishmael, his son that never should have been born. And watch this. Even they became the provision for Joseph. Why? Because had they not walked by, he wouldn't have been taken out of the pit where he's left for dead and sold to them, taken to Egypt, put in Potiphar's house, became prosperous in Potiphar's house, then was cast out because his wife tried to have relations with him. He was put in the inner prison. He actually interpreted the dreams of a baker and a butler, later interpreted the dream of, of Pharaoh, later became the provision during the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, and all of the time the brothers thought he was dead. Oh, but it was the Ishmaelites, the illegitimate offspring of something that never should have happened that came by and took him out of the pit and put him in the palace. You see, God is saying to you and me today, church, I don't need your greatness. 
Matter of fact, here's what I believe he's saying today. If these things wouldn't flip, I'd stand on one of them. Listen, I want your mess-ups. I want your failures. I want your brokenness. I want your those little nuances that no one else likes about you. I'm going to use that for your glory. Look at David Ring, a man with cerebral palsy. He can't even speak eloquently, yet he preaches all over the world. Why? Because God's strength is made perfect in his weakness. God has already taken forethought for your life. You're in a pit today. And you, like me, we murmur. God, why am I in this pit? God, what did I do to you? God, when am I going to see breakthrough? God, I don't like the way that's done. I don't like my son's teacher. I don't like this. I don't like that. And God is saying, hey, that's cool. Stay in the pit all you want to. But if you stop murmuring and start praising him, he's going to send something that never should have been coming your way. But God, and he's going to pull you out, and he's going to set you up. You're coming out. You're coming out of bondage. Let me leave you with this. The children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. This is much, much, much later in the future. And God sent a man named Moses who literally is one who delivers. But he didn't say, I'm taking you out. He says, I'm taking you out and I'm taking you out in style. Get all the gold, get all the stuff, get that all the stuff that was due you, take it and go out. Why? Because I'm going to build a tabernacle. God doesn't bring you out to demote you. He doesn't put you in the pit to break you. He may be doing that to set you up and set you up in style that other people may know him, that lives would be changed because they're watching your brokenness. They're watching your detriment. They see what's going on in your home. But boy, when you walk down that aisle today and you get down on here with your husband or wife and you stand up and you embrace you say but God and everybody wanders in amazement and says that's what I want I want to come out of the pit every head bowed and every eye closed I don't know where you are today but God knows right where you are God knows if you're in a pit he knows if you're on the mountaintop he knows if you're in the lowest valley he's God in the morning rain He is God in the evening sun. He is God all the time, and he can't do anything but love you. He wants to be the lifter of your head, as Psalm 3 says. He wants to pull you out, and he wants to put you in. Do you know him today as Jesus is Lord of your life? If you know that you know that you know that if you died right now that you have heaven for a home, I want you right now to just lift your hand. Lift your hand and say, I know that I have Jesus into my life. He's my Savior. He's my best friend. He's my husband. Put your hands down. Some hands did not go up. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're in a pit of time of indecision. The Bible says today is the day a band of Ishmaelites named Mark Pritchett is walking by. I never should have been here. There's no reason why I should be a pastor. And I'm walking by to tell you he's pulling you out of the pit today. But you got to trust him. you got to call on him. Every head bowed and every eye closed, would you pray with me right now? Not to me, but from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, will you save me? Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, I pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you can just without hesitation, without personal debate, say, Today, Mark, I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. Lift it up real high, real quick. God bless you and you. Anybody else? God bless you over here. Anyone else looking around? What I want you guys to do 
If you ask Jesus into your heart with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's some people down here that are going to pray for you. You don't have to say anything to them. Just want to pray for you. I want you right now to get out of your seat. If you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, and just come down here. One of these folks want to pray with you. Just come now. Don't debate it. Don't think about it. Don't hope for something else to happen. If somebody's in your way, just say, please excuse me. But for the rest of you, listen very carefully. How many of you are really in a pit today? You don't have to raise your hand. I can look out and tell there are people hurting all over this congregation today. God has just tossed a rope over into your pit. He's saying, grab onto it. Grab onto me, and I'm pulling you out. It's time for change. It's time for breakthrough. So here's what I want you to do. You're going to either sit there and stay in that pit, or you're going to take one step that's going to change your life forever. It'll literally change the trajectory of your spiritual life, your marriage, maybe your finances, maybe your children. I don't know what you stand in need of today, but when I count to three and you stand up, if you have a need in your life or you feel that you've been pressed down and beaten down and perplexed and hurt, and you want to break through that today, I want you to come and pray with your wife, with your husband, with your child, with your best friend. I don't want you to sit there. I want you to come. On the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. Once you come, I'm standing right here. Don't hesitate. People may be waiting on you to move.